A house is made of wood and stone, but only love can make a home. Welcome to the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, helping you make your home into one you'll love even more. Here are your hosts, Dan Hansen and Betsy Thompson. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Betsy. Good Happy morning, Dan. Saturday. Why, thank you. To everybody out there, not just you. Oh. You jumped on that right away. Well, that's because you drag it out. I did. You always do that. I'm, when you say good morning, you drag it out. I'm trying to talk slower. <laughs> I know that I... You have been critiqued for that. Yeah, I'm a motor mouth mm. or whatever they call that. Blabber mouth, motor yes. mouth. Mm-hmm. I talk fast and I mumble. You do. Well, you talk it, fast when you get really excited. I, I think do. we all do that. So I'm trying to slow things down just a little bit, <laughs> be a little more professional. Sometimes I feel like it's tug of war when you slow it down that much. I'm like yeah. pulling the words out. Okay, what are you going to say next? I know. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, I hope everybody's Saturday is off to a great start. We sure are hitting is. the end of Saturdays yeah. in the summer, it feels like. Yeah, right? in the I next couple weeks, kids are going back to school. That we are this close to the end of summer. Mm-hmm. I have a lot that I have to do yet before <laughs> the end of summer. Well, it feels like summer has been very short because spring last winter lasted forever, <laughs> and then spring just like dragged out into yeah. summer. April and showers ended in June. June. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, summer feels like it has flown by. I yeah. still have to buy my daughter. Well, she's buying the car. But uh-huh. I have to help her find a car and get that all set for college. Right. And yeah, the stress is piling up, mm-hmm. but we'll yeah. get through it yeah. as all things. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And if it kills yes. you, you don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> Somebody else's well, that, problem. That, that is very true. All right. So what do we got today? We've got a lot of interesting stuff. Kind of all over the spectrum today. Yeah, a little bit. We're going to talk about the Hackley and Hume home. We actually have an interview about that. And we're just going to kind of talk about some of the things that they've done there. Because we talked about it when we went there. We talked about our experience and what we saw. But these are the professionals who really know what they're talking about. Give us the history behind the homes. Yeah. And maybe you're looking for one last thing to do this summer. It's in Muskegon. Yeah. And it's definitely something you want to check out. And we'll have more about that coming up at the end of the show. We're also going to be talking about deck stains and all kinds of different stains, wood stains for exterior. My dad gave me a call the other day with a bunch of questions, and I realized... There's a lot of confusion when it comes to there deck stains. Is, yeah. So we're going to solve my dad's problems <laughs> and hopefully answer questions for other people out there. Right. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about some homebrew remedies you've got for killing weeds and dealing with bugs. But before you get into that, mm-hmm. I just want you to know, Betsy, yeah. that because of your idea, this was your idea uh-huh. to, to test these things out, yeah. see how they work, right. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Because we didn't want to report on anything that didn't work. Right. But in testing, uh-huh. I just want you to be aware that I really took one for the team here. Okay. Because in killing weeds on my driveway, yeah. spoiler alert, Betsy stuff works, <laughs> I injured my elbow i scraped it and had uh-huh. quite a little wound there right that i was proud about for a while mm-hmm. and then it healed over and yeah. everything was fine until all of a sudden a deep-rooted infection set in and the yeah. doctors call it cellulitis uh-huh 
which every time I hear about, I think they're telling me that it's a weight problem, <laughs> right? right? Isn't cellulite the... that? Yeah, that's generally... Yeah. I was surprised when you said <laughs> that's what the doctor said. Yeah, I was stunned and horrified. But it's apparently nothing to do with my weight, which isn't no. what it should be anyway, because they also weighed me at, <laughs> right. the, at the urgent care center. But right. anyway, because of this, yes, I'm dealing with this infection in my arm. It's and pretty. Uh, still debating whether I need to go back. Yeah, it's and... pretty gnarly looking. Pretty red, pretty puffy, and yeah. no sign of the original wound, which is the no, crazy it's part. Very frustrating. But anyway, yeah. anyway, it's all for the sake of knowledge. Good job taking so one for the team. Why don't you tell us about these homebrew? I guess let's start with the weed killer. Yeah, because that's the first one we tested. Uh, you know, we're all so used to the weed killers that you go to a home center Round and you buy. Up. Yeah, and you just spray it on and it kills the weeds and there's all kinds of commercials for them. But I have a dog who likes to sniff and get into everything. And so I was a little hesitant to put these weed killers anywhere where she was going to be sniffing. And the areas, but you still had a ton of weeds that you needed I to deal with. I had a ton of them because we put in some gravel and all of a sudden the weeds sprouted up in the gravel. And that is not an easy fix. So, And first off, we would say that pulling the weeds up by the roots is always the best. Yes, yes. Right. And if I you can't do that or you've got just too many, this might be Yeah, I started to do that, but then it pulls the gravel up and it kind of makes a mess of it. So I didn't really want to necessarily pull them. So I came across this recipe. It is one gallon of vinegar. By the way, we'll put all this stuff in the show notes. One gallon of vinegar, a cup of uh, lemon juice, a cup of salt, two tablespoons of dish soap, whatever you have, and just a pump-up sprayer, one of those garden pump-up sprayers. Mm -hmm. Mix it all together and then go to town, spray it on the weeds. And I cannot tell you, I did it one evening when I got home from work. By the next morning, some of the smaller um, little spindly things were like brown and pretty much dead. Mm -hmm. I was absolutely shocked. And apparently it's the acid between the vinegar and uh, the lemon juice that kills these weeds and then the salt helps dry them out and things like that. Right. I did it on my driveway where I <laughs> injured your elbow. My injury. Yes. Not really sure how I did that, uh -huh. but somehow. Right. And yeah, I had the same results. The things I noticed, the after effects were everything smelled like vinegar. Yes, that does driveway. happen. Mm -hmm. I went to pull the little remains of the weeds out of the cement and right. yeah, I couldn't get over the the vinegar and lemon smell. Right. <laughs> but you also did it on some larger stuff in some beds, right? Yeah, or, I did. And some of the response? really hardy stuff, it takes a little bit longer to work on the really big hardy weeds did you have that you to get. Hit it multiple times. I didn't. It actually started to work right away. It started to wilt them, not, you know, all the way down to the stem, but all of the leaves were starting to wilt already. So I know it works. It just takes a little bit longer on those. You might, depending on the weed size, you might have to hit it again. And if Heidi gets into it? No problems. Right. She went over there and it did not cause her any ill effects. All she right. was we perfectly certainly fine. wouldn't want to put it into her water bowl. Well, no, I'm guessing it, but she, it I'm guessing she won't like the smell. Way better. <laughs> Than dealing with Roundup and way yeah. cheaper because I think right. you estimated the cost at. Oh, well, my little thing of salt was less than a dollar yeah, and we were it under, did under over six two. Bucks, right? Oh, easily. yeah. Way under. And professional weed killers are going to be way more than that. Yes. So now you also quickly had a bug uh, repellent. Yeah, because I was noticing that some of the beans that I had planted, mm -hmm. something was eating through all the leaves all of a sudden and they were almost gone. 
And again, I didn't necessarily want... Did you ever figure out what it was? I don't know what it was. But a bug of some sort. A bug of some sort. Well, I think a rabbit did get one of them because it was clean off. Uh, There are no children right next to me. So it couldn't have been them. No. Just rabbits, I am guessing. And bugs. Um, I came across a few different recipes. I kind of made up my own. I used... I happen to have like five or six... You went off script and made up your own? I did. And guess what? It worked. Um, Wow. I had like five or six cloves of garlic left over from some pasta I made a while back. And so I chopped those up really fine. Um, I had an onion. So again, I chopped that up, put it in a bowl... Put some cayenne pepper in there, just kind of. Well, bugs hate the garlic and the onion. They don't like the smell, and then the pepper is hot. So the hotter the pepper you use, mm-hmm. the better off you are. So it's like all these forces working together against the bugs. Put some boiling water over all those things in a bowl. Cover it because it smells terrible. So put some tin foil over it. I was just thinking it smelled wonderful. Oh, it does not. Don't. Trust okay. me. <laughs> don't invite the neighbors I don't over. Put that onto my salsa <laughs> or my pasta. No. So do that. Cover it, let it sit for a while until it cools off. Then put it in a spray bottle with a little bit of soap. I used maybe a tablespoon of soap in my little spray bottle. Um, Took it out there and sprayed the plants and it worked great. No more bugs. No more bugs. It won't affect the plants. Nope. And I suppose if Heidi eats that, she's well, going she's to probably, really want to get some water. Yeah, she's probably not going to like the smell, so she's probably just going to avoid it. But All right. Yeah. Well, that is very cool. Did you hear my little Cajun cayenne pepper? I I did hear that. <laughs> I've just got so many bad accents. You do. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. Anyway, we're gonna put all of the recipes to that in the show notes. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yep. And all inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And definitely yeah. something to check out. Right. Now, when we come back, we're gonna be talking about deck stains, which I know is just riveting. When it comes to interest level. Well, it is if you are confused and you're thinking about doing your deck. (laughs) Dad, this one's for you. Right. All right. Stay tuned. Helping you turn your house into your dream home. This is the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, presented by Benjamin Moore on News Radio Wood 1300 and 106.9 FM. Now, Betsy, a couple of weeks ago, my dad texted me out of the blue, mm-hmm. and rather than the normal goofy picture, you know, and some kind of weird joke uh-huh. that he sent, because uh-huh. that's the extent that dad uses texting. So what you're saying is his phone should be taken away. <laughs> what I'm saying is if he ever, dad, this is for you. Again, this whole segment is for you. Of but course. if you ever are injured and you decide to text the message, you know, because that's uh-huh. all you can do. Uh-huh. I hope you can find some other way because most of us are going to ignore it because we're <laughs> going to assume that it's just more of the same. So how long did you ignore this text? <laughs> a while. Uh-huh. A while. Okay. But anyway, his question was concerning um, a deck product that okay. he's used at yep. the condos where he lives. Mm-hmm. It's Port City's Deck and Dock. It's a product we manufacture under the Port City brand. Right. But he wanted to know if he adds pigment to that, mm-hmm. well, I make it look more like a paint. And uh-huh. you know, Betsy, that uh-huh. that's one of those that immediately 
you want to call and get a hold of the person and figure out what in the world he's trying to do. Yeah, red flags end up going up at that point. Yeah, because the product is made to not look like a paint for a very specific reason right. and benefit. And to overload it with colorant is really not something that anybody in any of the Repcolator Port City paint stores would even do for him. Yes. But I wanted to figure out what was going on. And mm-hmm. in the midst of that conversation, I realized he is utterly confused and the people at the condo association are confused about how to get the look they want mm-hmm. on various surfaces. They're confused about how Dextane's function and what options are out there. Yeah. And I figured it's really worth digging into here because even though it seems like it would be considered the end of deck season, mm-hmm. it's really not. No, you've still got all of August into September, sometimes Easily even October. Right. October starts to get a little wet, but yeah. September is really still usually pretty good right. for doing decks. Yeah. And we're also not just talking about decks here. You could use these stains on any exterior wood, mm-hmm. really. Fences, so, your house. Yeah. Yeah. So we thought we'd try to cut through some of that confusion. Right. And we'll start with... Just going over basically three different common types of exterior stains, their benefits and all of that. Where you right. use them, where you wouldn't want to. And let's start with a translucent. Yeah, or sometimes called a transparent stain. And that's actually what your dad was using. The Port City Deck and Dock um, is one of them. Then there's also Cabot's Australian Timber Oil. That's another transparent yeah, deck stain. Another really good one that we carry. Yeah. Both of those would be great for a lot of different situations. Mm-hmm. These stains are ones where you can see the wood through. It gives you just a little bit of color on there to bring out the tones in the wood. Which is why sometimes they're also referred to as toners. Yes, sometimes they're referred to right. as toners. It gives you water repellency Yep, and the colors give you UV protection. Yeah, there are clears and we do have one, yep. but we always hesitate to sell it because there is no UV protection. Or so it's so limited because there are other yeah. ones out there that are clear that claim to have UV protection, right, right. but it is very limited. Yes. The pigment that's in the other colors mm-hmm. gives you much more. Right. So your wood will gray. If you put a clear yeah. down, it's going to gray over time. If that's right. the look you want and you just want water repellency, then it's all right. Yeah. But if you want to keep it looking more like a natural wood color mm-hmm. and not towards that driftwood gray, right? then we'd really recommend one of the, the colored toner coats or the Australian timber oil or something like that. Right. And this is really one of the stains that we love to recommend to people because it's relatively easy maintenance. Now, you do live in Michigan. Most mm-hmm. of our listeners, unless you're listening on the podcast later, and you can get it anywhere at that point. But in Michigan, you have to do your deck more often. You know, you're like in every year, two years, one and a half years is really what we like to recommend. Yeah, with this product, year and a half, right. two years max usually. Right. But the benefit of using this is when it starts to wear away, like where you have a lot of people walking over the same area, it just kind of fades away. You don't see a super noticeable difference between where that stain is still on there and where it has maybe worn out. And getting ready to redo it is really easy. You just yeah. clean the deck using either the chemicals or whatever is out there. We've mm-hmm. got a whole system we can work you through. Right. Clean it, let it dry, put mm-hmm. another coat on. Right. Very simple in that regard. Yes, yes. you do it more often, mm-hmm. but it's easier to do when you have to do it. That's right. the translucent wood protectors. Not yes. a lot of color. Right. Very natural looking. But they really do the job. Very easy to work with. The right. next level up is semi-transparent. Mm-hmm. And it would be like Benjamin Moore's Arbor Coat. Yeah. Repcolite makes Woodmaster semi-transparent deck stain or mm-hmm. stain. Yeah. 
uh, what you get with that is more pigment. You know, yep. it's not as clear as the other ones. You still see some wood grain through it. Right. But you've definitely got more colors now. And and now you've got a lot more option when it comes to color. Yeah, it's not just wood tones anymore. If you want red or green or blue or something like that, it can be made in this particular stain. Right. Now, you still see the wood, you know, from beneath. So yeah, a little bit. So that tempers the color mm-hmm. a little bit. Yep. You get these muted versions, but you can definitely push it in certain directions now. Because there's more pigment, you've got definitely more UV protection, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. Right. The downside to these is they definitely are a little more maintenance. Now, they'll last a little longer mm-hmm. because there's more there. Yeah. But when you redo them, you really need to get almost all of it off because if you yeah. put another coat on and there's still a lot of color down, you start to build towards a solid color, which becomes a problem in the in, in the long run. Right. And... That brings us to solid color stains, which a lot of people mistake for actual paint on their deck. We get a number of calls where people say, I have a a paint on my deck. How do I get it off? And our question is always, is it paint or is it stain? And they think it's paint because it's solid. It looks like paint. It looks just like paint. It can peel to some extent, depending on how many layers are on Mm -hmm. there. But... Yeah, if it's a stain, you're in, still in a much better boat than if it's a paint. You never yes. want to put a paint on your deck no. unless it's absolutely necessary. <laughs> right. But the solid color stains, just like they sound, you don't see the wood anymore, the wood grain. Mm-hmm. You can go to any color you want. The right. downside to these, on a deck, mm-hmm. and, and that's how we referenced all of this, yeah. on a deck, they show traffic patterns very quickly. Yeah, yep. And you know, you're going to wear through that. You can touch them up, mm-hmm. but there's... You know, give and take as to how effective that is. Right. It'll be effective in the sense of you can put new stain on and Mm -hmm. cover it up. Yeah. But does it blend to the old that has faded over time? Um, It definitely can get hotter depending Mm -hmm. on the colors. Yeah. The translucent coating allows so much natural wood to come through. It actually doesn't feel as hot as anything when you'd go to a brown or a red. We've seen red decks with a solid color stain. Those can get quite warm under your feet. Yeah. So... Really, when when you boil it all down, those are the the basics. There's mm. a lot of other options in between, you know, that are mixes of those. But th- that's the basic. Yeah. So in the last little bit that we've got, about a minute, what's best? Best depends on the situation. Yeah. If we're it talking really about does. a deck, mm-hmm. we at Repco Light and Port City Paints would strongly try to steer you towards the translucent products, either deck and dock. The Cabot's Australian Timber Oil, things like that. Right. If you're doing fences or siding, the semi-transparent or even the solid are great on those things. It gives you that kind of painted look, um, and it gives you a little bit longer lifespan out of the product and out of the wood underneath. The only thing I want to say real quickly is that if you have some exotic hardwood for a deck, make sure you stop into the store and ask before you put a product on there, because there are certain situations where you should put absolutely nothing on there. Right. So make sure you stop in and ask. Internet will tell you there are products to use. Yep. Usually we find that that lasts about two to three months and then you've got this continual maintenance cycle. Stop out and ask. Now when we come back, we're going to reintroduce you to an amazing place in Muskegon that you need to see to believe. That's coming up next. Stay tuned. If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM.
Well, Betsy, back in November, end mm-hmm. of November, I believe, yeah, we went through the Hackley and Hume homes in Muskegon. Yeah. And they were all decked out for the holidays. Mm-hmm. And we were blown away by the experience. We talked about it right away that following Saturday. Yeah, that's the kind of thing we do. We get all excited when we see something really cool, and then we come back and instantly talk about oh, it. Oh, yeah. And we just went on and on. It was like we were hepped up on caffeine. It was crazy. <laughs> yes. We had so many things we wanted to say. But one of the things we conveyed in that particular segment is that we wanted to actually sit down with people from the site and talk about the the actual history. Yeah, Not, we threw a few little nuggets in there, yeah. but nothing really substantial. I don't know how valuable those nuggets were. <laughs> right. We more focused on the decor and everything we saw. Right. But right now we're in the studio with Aaron Schmitz, the program manager, historic sites from the Hackley and Hume, and actually Lakeshore Museum Center. Museum Center. Right. And Aaron Mays, the assistant program manager. Thanks, guys, for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. And now we're going to actually get the real scoop on the history behind these homes and why everybody listening should make a pilgrimage, at least at some point of the year, out there to take a look. Yeah. So, Aaron, why don't you start and give us... Well, and now we've got two Aaron's. So we'll just have to... How are we going to differentiate this? (laughs) Lady Aaron? They're spelled (laughs) differently, so people will know. Aaron within... Yeah, because the (laughs) listeners are going to see who we're talking about. figure it out. They're smart. (laughs) Aaron with an E... Yeah. Okay, Aaron with an E. No, you don't have to say that. When a woman answers, they'll know. Right? Well, yeah, that's how it works true. for us. Presumably, I mean, yeah. yeah, we run into this problem quite often. And it's usually not us that has the problem. It's usually anybody that's talking to us or about yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> we'll try to look directly at you. Okay, that sounds good. Um, why don't you give us a very brief history about the Hackley and Hume Homes? And I guess who Hackley was, why this name is important. Sure. So the Hackley and Hume houses were built um, from 1887 through 1889 from two lumber barons working in Muskegon, Charles Hackley and his business partner and friend, Thomas Hume. So they were in um, business since the late 80s, uh, 1880s, and then um, also decided to build build their houses right next door to each other um, on, on Webster in Muskegon. I hope they never got mad at each other since they were neighbors. Well, they were not. They were close. They were close. Are very close. Yeah, and so there's one report in the newspaper that says that they're closer than brothers. And so we didn't see any reports. I mean, we're still finding new evidence all the time and doing more research, but it never looks like they ever had, you know, conflicts um, that. Sparked the news, anyways. <laughs> That's good because yeah. they're <laughs> yeah, literally in each a stone's other's backyard. Could have been yeah. very. Could have got real fast. Yeah, exactly. Now, the Hackley home, they're they're separate homes, and one is by far way more extravagant, I guess, than kind the other one. In retrospect. Yes. I if, think it depends on see, which one you go through yeah, first. That was our mistake, I think. Yeah, we went through the fancier one first, and then the second one was maybe less so. I guess I want to know why, you know, let our listeners know why these are important houses in the first place. You know, two lumber barons build a house. Why is that a big deal? Why is that news? Right. So I would say um, why that's still important today is because Charles Hackley and Thomas Hume, although less notable throughout the documentation, Charles Hackley's name is on everything, but that's partly because he gave so much money to give back to the city of Muskegon. And so as the lumbering era was dying, a lot of the lumber barons that were living in Muskegon at the time were heading out west or trying to make new ventures out west, sometimes new businesses or lumbering out west. Um, And Thomas Hume and Charles Hackley decided to stay in Muskegon and really tried to make the city um, really uh, to live on. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. it probably would have 
become a ghost town. Without the lumbering, you wouldn't have all those lumberjacks staying and all of the business would have kind of um, evaporated out of the town. So they really worked together to create the Board of Trade, which later became the Chamber of Commerce, to bring in and incentivize to... um, all these different businesses, you know, trying to start fresh or start businesses to bring them to Muskegon. And that industry phase of Muskegon really lasted up until the last 20 years when everything was really starting to move out. So things like Brunswick, um, that was here for a really long time, the Amazon Knitting Company. And we saw all of these businesses kind of coming in because of the Hackley and Hume um, efforts. And so that's the kind of the legacy that we have today is we're really still on the map due to these men's efforts and contributions. That is crazy. It's like Uh, they saved a town. Well, and the houses themselves, you know, let's get into that now because... They're astonishing. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just a couple of historic sites to go look at. You know, there's right. historic sites all over the place. I like yeah. to think that someday my home will be considered <sighs> a historic site. Good grief. You don't think? I don't think so. It's possible, isn't it? Aaron and Aaron? I mean, I doubt that the Hackleys or Humes thought, you know, thousands See? of visitors are going to come through right. my house yes. at some point. We uh, talk all the time, like, why didn't they design these houses for giving tours in? Because you can only fit so many people or you wish that certain rooms right. were laid out in different ways. But, yeah, I don't think that they well, intended I, that we would be looking at them 130 years later. See, I am going to do some work at my house. Maybe you should stop over and give me some tips <laughs> so that it is conducive <laughs> for tour visitors. Ready. Yeah, more tour, tour friendly. We'll yeah. make sure that tour flow works really nicely. Yeah. <laughs> oh but my their goodness. homes are amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. They so are. why don't we just start now for a little bit, mm-hmm. and then we'll get into it on the next segment a little more, just about what, what we can see at these houses. And let's start with the Hume House. Or you start wherever you want to. You guys run the show. All right. Um, so I would say the Hume House, it is... Um, as you kind of mentioned, the less fancy of the two houses, although it seems a little bit more practical and a lot of the visitors connect with that as they go through the Hume house, mm-hmm. they feel like their family, you, they could see their family being in that house. Right. Um, and the nice thing about our site is that, um, you know, back in the 80s and 90s when the houses were being restored, now the 1980s and 90s when the houses were being restored, they decided to take uh, the Hume house and not talk about it in the Victorian era, like Charles Hackley's house, but 30 years ahead in time. So in the 1920s. And that's mostly because Thomas Hume changed the house several times while he was still living there. And so um, instead of like taking off complete rooms that Thomas Hume actually made as additions to his house, we actually talk about the house a little bit later in time. So it gives you a nice contrast. So like this house was here in the Mm -hmm. 1880s, um, but we're kind of telling the story in the 1920s. So you can kind of see how that Victorian era um, and how home design and decor was really changing from this really heavy, um, like heavy draperies in the Hackley house and then to like a more lighter curtain and more house plants and just a lighter open area feel Mm -hmm. Uh, that house also has a more open concept that the Hackley house doesn't really offer Mm -hmm. Um, and that could be attributed to um, Mr. Hume was only a quarter partner when the houses were built so he may not have had like the the same capacity of income to put into this into this mm-hmm. house. He was also raising seven kids. So um, he definitely had more of a family right. feel to his house and needed more function over um, fancy. Um, yeah. So just with those changes, it's a little bit different. Also, all the woodwork, it's gorgeous. The woodwork mm-hmm. is gorgeous. and um, But it's all machine carved because that costs a little bit less. So right. that's kind of what the feel and the vibe of the Hume house is. Aaron, you want to talk about the Hackley house and kind of the difference there? Mm-hmm. Sure. 
So I think, like what you said before, a big part of it, I think, was their family dynamic was much different. So the Hackleys, when they were building their house, um, did have an adopted daughter, but she was um, pretty much an adult by that time. Mm -hmm. So they weren't really building that house with, like, a family in mind, necessarily. They were really building it as, like, a showpiece. Mm -hmm. And you definitely get that vibe as soon as you walk in, that reception hall. I mean, that front room is obviously designed to really, like, just blow people away. Yeah. When they walk into that house, because it's really the first space that you're going to see. And the Hackley house is kind of more traditional Victorian, um, as opposed to the Hume house, like Aaron said. So the Hackley house has like a lot more specification, smaller rooms, you know, for more specific reasons and, you know, a little bit more closed off of a feeling rather than kind of the more like open Mm -hmm. sort of atmosphere like you'll see in the Hume house. Um, and obviously they really wanted to show off their wealth. And so that comes across definitely in all of the, the hand carved woodwork, which is all, you know, uniquely made for that house by 13 wood carvers who were actually employed by a Muskegon company. So they did all the carvings of faces and mythical creatures and just amazing designs all over the house and all of the hand painted stenciling too. There's 137 different colors of paint throughout the Hackley house. 137 so, different colors yeah. of paint. Can through you the imagine house. keeping all of that straight? Uh, no, I can't. I can't. I can't <laughs> yes. imagine almost any part of that. I mean, the carvings when we went through all of the woodwork, all of mm-hmm. the intricate detail. I believe Aaron, with an E, <laughs> you pointed out when we went through different details that were actually hidden behind different parts of the stairway, right? You can't even see them unless you get on an angle and look. Right. Oh, there's that's the level of quality and attention to detail that went into this. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of those spaces, we don't know if they were carved on site in the house or if they were carved at the mill, but then when they were brought either, you know, there and butted up with another piece of woodwork, they weren't just like, oh, we'll just not see that part, so we're not going to carve it. Oh, no, they carved every last inch of it. So you can like turn corners and kind of see things tucked in and it's it's amazing that they they went through that much detail in their houses mm-hmm. i feel like everything's so kind of like big box store i mean just to look at the hinges in mm-hmm. the in both houses are amazingly gorgeous but you know you try to find a hinge today and you get like what three or four different <laughs> types right. and colors and so um just it's, how we've standardized houses today is fun it is unlike anything. And we loved the concept, or the concept, we loved the fact that we had the house set more in the 20s mm-hmm. and then the Victorian era. You know, that was really fun. You know, in retrospect, we talked about it in the car on the way back, that it was a better experience than just having both of them be restored to the Victorian era because you felt like you had a bigger dose of history mm. going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, we want to talk a little bit more about some of the restoration. I definitely want to talk about some of the paint colors and then the programs that you are offering throughout the rest of the year. Do you have time to hang with us over the break? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. We'll be back in the studio with both errands, and I suppose Betsy will have to hang around as well. Are you going to hang around? Why, thank you. And yes. we'll talk more about the Hackley and Hume homes. Stay tuned. want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. 
And we're back. I'm Dan Hansen. And I'm Betsy Thompson. And we're sitting here back in the studio with Aaron Schmitz and Aaron Mace from the Heckley and Hume Homes. Thanks for sticking with us, guys. No problem. We're happy to be here. We want to finish our conversation, wrap it up real quickly with kind of the restoration that you did on these homes. You said it was back in the 80s and 90s. Is that what you said? Right. Yeah. They kind of started... The early phases in the 70s um, with a volunteer group called the Hackley Heritage Association. And then the museum um, ended up with ownership and transferred ownership in 1986. And that's really where the the manpower really came in um, due to a countywide millage that helped with that restoration. Now, just with what we saw in going through, especially the Hackley House, because it's so over the top, I can only imagine how laborious a task it was to go through and put these back to the way they were. I mean, that is a lot of work. 130 what? 137 interior colors. interior colors. And how many many on the exterior? Because there are a ton out there, too. (laughs) The exterior of the Hackley House has 13 uh, colors, and then the Hume House has 14 colors. And And just uh, as a quick side note, we would be remiss uh to mention that those 13 colors and the 14 colors on the other house were all matched at our Port City Paint Store in Muskegon, right? That's right, yeah. Hey. Abe are- is very proud of that. Abe has been on the show before, yeah. and when we mentioned that we'd been to the house, Abe pulled out, he called it his Hackley and Hume Bible. It's a great big bo- <laughs> folder full of all the different uh-huh. colors. So We're familiar with that, Bible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go ahead with your question, Betsy. Well, I just wonder further, what was it like restoring? I mean, that's a lot of stuff to actually go through and restore. Just little things and there's so many details how do you go about a project like that right so thankfully that was before our time and i say that to visitors all the time thank goodness we were not here during the painting of the stenciling and all of that stuff although it's really great to see those pictures and i i don't know how it all ended up happening um i wish we had better records than we do we have pretty good records, but I wish we had better records in some cases. Um, And then today we are finishing up all of those detailed things because um, there's spaces, um, closets and porches, you know, they really focused on the main rooms. And Mm -hmm. so Aaron and I's effort has really been to focus on the unseen spaces and kind of fixing those back up and restoring those. So do you want to kind of talk about that project and how we've been figuring out how we're going to do that? Sure. So, um, Back when the major restoration was done, they brought in um, kind of a paint analysis expert. His name was Robert Furhoff, and he did a huge report on the exterior of the houses and the interior, saying this is every single color that existed in all these spaces. And so we still use that. Um, We're restoring uh, kind of a kitchen pantry area in the Hackley house. So Mm -hmm. when we thought, well, what color does this need to be painted? We referred to that report. It had the exact paint we needed in there. That was the same paint that was used in the rest of the kitchen, but... So for all those spaces, they took a lot of time to very meticulously note how it how it was painted originally when the house uh, was first built, which is pretty amazing that they were able to scrape off all those extra right. layers of paint and to wallpaper. To get to what it originally had been. Yeah, exactly. Now you have one area in, was it the dining room, that has the original or the unrestored wall. Mm-hmm. So you can see what it had been, and then the rest of it is completely restored that's still there that way right 
Right. Yeah. So that spot in the dining room is the kind of um, all the extra layers have been taken off, but it hasn't been repainted or even the right. plaster hasn't been fixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a great um, piece to kind of show people like this is what most of this house looked like before the restoration. And you can see the after effect and you really see people start to understand like, wow, this is amazing. The amount of work and money and time that's just been put in to fixing the house and really bringing it to what it looked like when it was brand new. I think it gives them a much bigger appreciation of how monumental that task was. We're going to put some pictures in the show notes, but you need to get out there and see this. It is beyond anything I imagined when we Mm -hmm. walked in. And I think Aaron with an A. (laughs) You mentioned in the beginning that when you walk into that entrance, it was meant to be a stunner to just really knock you back. And Mm -hmm. it does. We Mm -hmm. walked in. And I thought, oh, this is going to be way more fun than we anticipated. <laughs> you know, I knew it was yeah. nice from the pictures that I saw online, but right. it completely, yeah. it just left me silent. And that, you yeah. know, a lot of things don't do that. <laughs> that so, is very true. In the last little bit that we've got, why don't you talk about some of the programs that are going on throughout the rest of the year and give people just one more reason or a bunch more to get out there yet. Yeah, we still have a handful of really great things happening at the site this year. We usually try to open, uh, when we open in May, we usually try to have some kind of event or program each month with the exception of July, just because it's so busy. Um, But uh, still coming up, we have some all access tours that you can be part of. And that's where you can really see those unfinished spaces like the basements and the attics and the porches and Mm. uh, the closets that haven't been restored. And Mm -hmm. so that's a really great one to see. And we do that once a month. We also have our scandal program. Um, that's coming up at the end of this month, and there's still quite a few tickets. That's a, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night uh, program at the end of the month, and that kind of um, is based around. There's been a, a History Channel show that's been going on that's involved our Charles Hackley, um, and so that's kind of talking about that and all the facts that we have found. Um, and then in September, we have a live Clue uh, game that we'll be doing in the Hackley House. So that's going to be like taking the Clue game and bringing oh, it really? to life. And that's, that's going to be really fun. And so, um, and then we have our obituary tours. And this is our fifth year, I think, yeah. doing that the whole obituary after the clue tours. One. It does. That, right? <laughs> it does. And so we talk about like death and dying practices in the Victorian era. We talk about the deaths that took place in the house and the funerals that took place. And then uh, we bring out some cool things from our collection, um, our museum's collection that doesn't get exhibited all the time. And so that's a really fun thing to come and witness. And then literally like the next day after those are over, we tear all that down and put up Christmas. So (laughs) it's kind of a weird transition. (laughs) That's what we were there for, right? We saw Yeah, we saw it it late November, early December. Yeah. All I can remember is the monkey with the Santa hat on. There are so many details, (laughs) so many amazing things. So where do our listeners get information about the expenses, the costs of getting out there, and just, you know, narrow down these dates. Sure. You can find us at hackleyandhume.org. And also you can follow us on our Facebook page, which is the Hackley and Hume Historic Site. Uh, we have all of our information there. Uh, you can check us out on TripAdvisor. We've, um, we were really excited this winter. We became number one site in Muskegon to visit as like wow. a tourist attraction. And that was winter. We weren't even open. So wow. that was like a really cool That's thing. Cool. We were like beating the beach and Michigan's adventure, <laughs> yeah. which is hard to do. Yeah. Well, it's definitely... Definitely worth it. Uh-huh. We can't stress it enough. It's right in our own backyard. Maybe yeah. a little bit of a drive for you, but it's worth getting out there. Mm-hmm. The Hackley and Hume Historic Sites. We'll put links in the show notes. Aaron Schmitz and Aaron Mace, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. And there you go. Another episode wrapped up, polished mm-hmm. up. 
set on the shelf. Set on the shelf. Uh-huh. Soon to be in the garbage bin. No, it's waiting no. to be admired. Yeah, waiting <laughs> to be admired. And before we give you all of the information where you can listen, mm-hmm. definitely get out and check out the Hackley and Hume homes in Muskegon. It's definitely worth your time. Get out there and see them. It is. And if you do want to listen to this episode again, you can find it at repcolite.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and iHeartRadio. Right. And if you do iTunes, leave us a five-star review. That would be great. Yes, please. Anything less than that? Move right along, please. <laughs> right. Whatever you do today, make sure paint's a part of it. Repcolite and Port City Paint Stores are open till 3, waiting to see you. I'm Dan Hansen. And I'm Betsy Thompson. Remember, if you're about to lose your DIY sanity, we can help you fix that crazy. And we'll help you get that color match exactly the way you need it. Because remember, if we can match all the colors on the Hackley and Hume homes, (laughs) we can handle whatever you've got. Yeah, that was a monumental task. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 